most of us have found new rhythms during COVID. Some of them intentional, some of them unintentional. Some of the new rhythms occurred when restaurants shut down and some of us who were eating out more frequently weren't able to do that at all. Some of us found new rhythms when the kids stayed home from school and we had to figure out some form of homeschooling like never before. New rhythms were found when loved ones that we cared for and visited nursing homes were unable to be seen. Appointments with doctors that were needed were canceled. New rhythms were also found in a variety of other ways. Ministries and programs that we'd been a part of, areas we'd volunteered in, disappeared through much of COVID, except for some of the ones that were more emergency and needed. We weren't able to shop in person for a time and nearly all of it was done online and new rhythms were found. And as we are coming out of COVID, some of us are experiencing some grief and loss in these new rhythms, but some of us have found some refreshment, some renewal in these rhythms. And so the question is, as we begin to move forward, what does that look like? How do you discern what the new normal looks like? Maybe there's some patterns that emerged for you or you and your family during COVID that you found incredibly healthy and you don't want to lose. Maybe working from home isn't something you want to do every day, but man, you'd be open to doing it three times a week, three days a week. How do we discern what new rhythms we should be following and what ones should disappear as COVID does? The Bible talks a fair bit about discernment. And what is discernment? I've, I've written down this definition. Discernment is having the insight to perceive the wisest way. Discernment is having the insight to perceive the wisest way. Proverbs 16 verse 21 says this, the wise in heart are called discerning and gracious words promote instruction. The wise in heart are called discerning. Wisdom and discerning here are seen as synonymous. And gracious words, they promote instruction. And so those that are discerning are also those that instruct people graciously. Proverbs 17 says this, a discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. The idea there is that a fool is always looking for the next best thing. They have FOMO, fear of missing out. They're just convinced that the next thing that's happening or the other thing that's happening might be better than the thing that they're doing. And so in their concern for that, they move from one activity to another activity or they skip something to do something, always concerned that they're missing something other, something better, something bigger. But a discerning wisdom, a person, Proverbs says, they keep wisdom in view. They only move and act as they sense God is calling them to and know that that next action will be something that will be a benefit to the kingdom, to the family, to the friendship base. And so in the egg, regular ebb and flow of life, as life just kind of keeps journeying, most of us, as we live life, find there's very little time for discernment, and yet it's necessary. I mean, for many people, life just happens to them, right? The pace is fast. We move from one task to the next, even our daily routine. We get up as late as we can. We rush to work. We're at work after having fought some type of traffic to get there. We're at work with projects and deadlines. We come to the end of a day or a shift to rush back home to find ourselves back in this pattern of 
make dinner, maybe have some time for a hobby that evening and then jump back into bed and get up and do the whole thing over again. And only maybe on a vacation where we just want to relax and think about nothing. Do we even have any time to offer any type of reflection? And so our pass, our pace is fast. The changes are frequent. I mean, the new I thing is out every two weeks, it seems. Some new gadget is available every month. Technology is running at a rampant pace and as technology is doing that, people are constantly wanting what is new. And so technology keeps the change just frequent. It's happening in business as businesses are making changes constantly. It's happening uh, continually in every part of the world. Advertising is changing. The way we shop is changing. Things are just constantly changing. A curveball's thrown your way. Uh, COVID was a big curveball. Right, that threw many of us. So a curveball is thrown your way. You find out someone has a disease. You find out that someone is ill. You find out that there's a job loss. You discover that a friend or family member is suffering in some way. And that really throws us and it leaves little time for reflection. Or we just find there's no time to think. We're people of reaction. We react impulsively, deciding quickly, without often taking time to pause and think which means that we don't often discern. It means we make impulsive, quick decisions. Now, I'd like to suggest that's not new. It's something that humanity has always been struggling with. And it's why a couple of thousand years ago, the Apostle Paul, in writing to a church in Philippi, offered some advice and a prayer around discernment. So I'd ask you to take your Bibles on your tablet or your phone or in your Bible, printed Bible, and turn to Philippians 1, just verses 9 to 11, just three verses, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And Paul says, this is my prayer. And I'll just pause there for a moment. As I talk through this for the next few minutes, I want you to remember, this is Paul's prayer. This is a prayer. This is a prayer that Paul is praying for the Philippian believers. And this is a prayer that we should be praying for ourselves and for each other. It's a prayer. Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The first thing he says is, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now notice he doesn't give love an object. He doesn't say your love for God or your love for others. He just says your love. Because Paul wants us to have our love for others and for God grow simultaneously. In fact, you cannot grow in your love for God without growing in your love for others. If you think you're growing in your love for God and you're not growing in the way that you can forgive others, you're not growing in the way that you care for others, you're not growing in the way that you serve others. If you think you're growing in your love for God, and it's not being demonstrated in the way that you forgive and serve and care for others. You're not growing in your love for God. You're simply fooling yourself. You cannot grow in your love for God. You can't do it and not be growing in your love for others. Because as you have a heart that's like God's heart, it'll be reflective of a God who says what? For God so loves the world. Not because the world is so big as much as because the world is so bad. That's why that should be shocking to us. 
The shocking news about God loving the world isn't because the world is simply so big. It's because the world is so bad. That includes us. For God so loved the world that he gave up his son, his one and only son, that anyone, anywhere, anytime believes in him, whoever believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. That's God's love for us. And if you're going to grow in your love for God, you're going to be able to grow in your love for others. And as you grow in your love for others, you will forgive, you will serve, you will care the way God does. Now he says, I want you to grow in your love, that your love may abound. That's be in abundance more and more in two ways, knowledge and depth of insight. I looked up a variety of definitions of knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is grasping or comprehending facts, information, or skills through experience or education. Let me say that again. Knowledge is grasping or comprehending facts, information, or skills through experience or education. It's the moment where you go, I got it. I mean, sometimes some of us have put together something that's complicated. We've gotten a new system of some kind, right? We're putting a new entertainment system into our house. Include some surround sound. We're putting up a new barbecue, right? I remember when we got our new barbecue, now probably a decade ago at our house, and I opened up the barbecue thinking this will be pretty simple, and the instruction said, part one of 700. I'm like, what? My barbecue doesn't look that big. How is this even possible? But I know, I realized it included every screw, every washer, every everything in that count. So it didn't really feel like that many parts until I started to put together. And then the complication is when you have parts left over, you begin to dig through the manual to try to figure out what have I missed? Because you need some instruction. You need, you finally find it. And at that point, you have this aha moment. Ah, oh, this is what I missed. This is what's needed. That's quite important. The barbecue won't work without it. Or maybe it would have, depending on what part you missed, but it's still more helpful to have all the parts together. Knowledge is a grasping or comprehension of facts, information or skills through education or experience. And Paul says, I pray that your love, your love for God and for people may grow or abound more and more in knowledge as our knowledge is aligned with God's knowledge, as we perceive the way through God's eyes. As we're not convinced anymore of the world's ideology and philosophy, but of God's himself. And he says of depth of insight. Now, what is insight? Insight is an accurate or perceptive understanding of the best course of action or next steps. Did you hear that? Insight is an accurate and perceptive understanding of the best course of action or next steps. Knowledge is gathering all the facts so that you have an idea of how to make a decision. Depth of insight is being able to say, and that's where God wants us to go. And Paul says, I pray that your love would abound, would be in abundance more and more in knowledge and understanding the facts, the details through experience and education and in depth of insight so that through that perception, you're able to go, that's where we should go. Now, let me continue here, right? He says this, so that you can discern what is best so you can discern what is best. Let me give you three scenarios where you need to discern what is best. The first is this, discerning what is best when the choice is between good and evil. Sometimes you're discerning between good and evil. Now that might sound like something simple, but we all know what evil is. No, we don't. No, actually we don't. I mean, as we even grow as Christians, all of us know that the Lord by his spirit, well, at times the spirit of God will convict us of a sin and we'll be like, wow, I've been doing that for years and I didn't even think it was sinful. 
Now, sometimes we know it's sinful and we're simply rebelling against God, but sometimes we're like, wow, the Lord just pointed that out. And I didn't realize I had this bitter heart. I didn't realize I was acting in pride. I didn't realize that I was being selfish. And the Lord opens our eyes to the truth of what we're doing. And we go, I've been doing that for years. How have I not come to a conviction on that? So sometimes it's not as easy as we think. Discerning what is best when the choice is between good and evil. So let me offer three thoughts here. One, cultural norms can blur the lines. Cultural norms can blur the lines. Many of you may know that in the last census in Canada, the single person family was the largest family unit in Canada. First time ever in Canadian history that the single person unit beat out married couples. Why did it happen? Well, from my research, common law couples, which has decreased substantially in Canada, have stopped living together because the law dictates that if you're common law for two years, you're treated in a separation just like a divorce. So the rules that apply to a couple that's been married apply to a common law couple that's been living together two years. So people have simply stopped living common law. That doesn't mean they don't stay over, over each other places. It means they each have a permanent address now, which makes them quote unquote single family unit. And they then move in with each other without moving in with each other. They just stay there a lot frequently. And either one of the houses or both of the houses. And that's become common and frequent in our culture. So should it surprise us when our young people think that's the way people should live? It's the way it should happen. It shouldn't at all. Think of greed, money, the way that you spend money. I mean, it's even the advice we get. Now, I happen to have a godly accountant, but many people don't. And I, at one time, had an accountant say to me, you know, that we shouldn't be giving so much money to the Lord because we could be using this money for other things. Now, he didn't say the Lord to charity. Now, you shouldn't be giving so much to charity. You should be using this money for other things, your retirement, right? Home renovations, other things. I mean, even the ideology of the world, it comes counter to what God's saying about generosity, to what God's saying about family, to what God's saying about everything. And so the cultural norms will blur the lines. Newness of faith or immaturity in faith can result in choosing evil over good can result in choosing evil over good. Again, an example here in both the same areas. But I remember a number of years ago, preaching a sermon on generosity and a young believer who'd been a Christ follower for about six or seven months came to me and said, you know, I've, I've, I've only been putting change in the offering plate. Like I haven't been honoring God with my wealth. So have I been sitting the whole time since I've been a believer? Like, is this something I need to repent of? And the answer of course is yes, but it's also, man, this is part of discipleship. And now that you know, honor God. Now that you know, walk with him. I remember another young person I was preaching on sexual purity and came to me again after the service and said, man, I didn't, I didn't know that. Like I've, I've been a believer for three months now and I've still been sleeping with my girlfriend. I, I didn't realize it was something we shouldn't be doing. He just hadn't come across it yet. And again, at that point he had to make a decision. Am I gonna honor Christ? Am I gonna follow him? And so sometimes it's, 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 it's the newness of faith or immaturity of faith that can result in choosing evil over good, just not knowing. And thirdly, um, our sinful nature blinds us. We want to please self and not God. So as we discern what's best, discerning what is best when the choice is between good and evil is one of the areas of discernment. The second one is this. Discerning what is best when the choice is between two conflicting kingdom values. Sometimes you have two conflicting kingdom values. Remember a number of years ago, a young woman in our church who was saved out of a Buddhist home had come to faith in Christ. She was 16. And she wanted to get baptized. And she came to us saying, what should I do? And I said, 
you should have a conversation with your parents. She did. She went and she talked to her parents and they said, as long as you're living in our house, we forbid you to be baptized. So she's called to be baptized. She's called to honor her parents. What should she do? Now, some people would say, well, the higher calling is to be baptized. Is that true? Like, is she sinning by not being baptized right away? Lots of people wait. Is she sinning more by disobeying her parents when she's living in their household? So we asked her to wait a bit, see what her parents would say. And within a number of months, her mom and dad came to the place where they were fine with her being baptized because they realized this wasn't a face. She's walking with the Lord to this day. She loves Jesus. But I remember at times there's conflicting kingdom values. You're trying to make a decision and you realize that there are these values that are conflicting and you're trying to sort them out. And that's an example of that. The third one is this. Discerning what is best when the choice is between two good things. How do you discern what's best when there's two good things? When it's not between right and wrong and there's no conflicting kingdom values, how do you discern what's best when it's serving in this area or serving in this area? Serving with children or with youth? Serving on the finance team or in the nursery? Serving in coffees on or in the hub? Very similar groups of people and I can only do one. Which one do I do? Caring for one neighbor or two neighbors or five? And how do I pick two of my neighbors to care for if three of them need care? But I can't give the time needed for three. What, what do I do? How do I choose where to serve, what to do, when it's the choice is between two good things? And that can be the case for many of us. We all will continually have to choose between good and evil and discern what's best. As you grow as a Christian, you typically have a better idea. As you read through scripture, as your spirit is saturated by the word of God and his spirit is gripping your heart, you typically have an idea of when you're rebelling against God, when you're choosing to sin against him. Even when it comes to discerning about kingdom values and what that looks like, um, again, when you have two conflicting kingdom values, you begin to work through, how do I discern which, which, which way to go here? But discerning between two good things often becomes incredibly complicated. So Paul's prayer here is that your love would abound as you grow in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can discern what is best. The text tells us that. So here's some things you do. One, you go to God in prayer. That's what Paul does here, right? This is my prayer. You go to God in prayer. God, you know. And I'm not suggesting here that there's always a right answer, that God's will is that you pick the right thing. It's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, oh God, the great creator of heaven and earth, before the foundation of time, you preordained whether or not I would have a bagel or I would have cereal. And then Lord, you preordained if I was going to have cereal, which type of cereal I would have. I don't pray that in the morning. God revealed to me which it should be and which I should have. I get up and I ask myself what I feel like for breakfast and I have it. I'm not overly concerned about, I mean, you need to be thinking through balanced diet. You need to be thinking through healthy eating. I'm not saying that's not the case, but I'm not overly concerned about what I think has occurred from before eternity for that moment. As we live our lives and we gather the facts and we look to have the ability to wisely choose next steps, Paul says, I'm praying that you can discern what is best. And one of the ways you do it is you go to God in prayer and say, God, show me what's best. Gather the facts, the information. Make sure you have the right skills so you can accurately perceive what God would have you do next. 
Secondly, you can seek wisdom from others. You can go to other believers and say, man, these are the options before me. Right? I remember when I was going to Bible college and you're accepted to every Bible college. Everybody pretty much is accepted to every Bible college. So then what do you do? I mean, it's not like, like, how do you pick which one? Do you pick convenience? What's closest? Do you pick, you know, what you think is the best Bible college? What if the best Bible college happens to be the most convenient Bible college and you want to move away from your friends and family? I mean, is there a right or wrong in this? So you ask, you ask for advice, godly advice, speak into my life. <coughs> you encourage people to be able to, to come in and, and say to you, this is what I think the Lord might be saying. Thirdly, you listen to the prodding of the Holy Spirit. You ask God's spirit to guide and direct you. You listen to his direction. You lean on him. But your life will be filled with choices between good and bad, good over evil, choices that will sometimes include conflicting kingdom values, and choices between what is best between two good things. And you want to be listening to God and clear in your conscience as you choose through wisdom and depth of insight the path that you believe you should take. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, don't ever lean on your own understanding. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In every way, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Don't trust in yourself, your own understanding, but trust in God. Put all of your trust in him. Paul says you do this so that you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure, which is Christ-like, without spot or blame. Blame with, blameless is no one pointing a finger at you saying, this is where I see your fault. Then he says this, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That means that he wants you to be filled with the fruit that comes by faith, and it's expressed by faith. So this fruit is a gift of faith. And this fruit is given out by faith. We're to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Fruit that comes from God. And fruit that's used by God in the lives of others. And notice this. It's to the glory and praise of God that he receives all glory and honor and praise. So let me just for a couple of minutes offer some principles for discernment. Number one. I believe that each of us should pause in every new season or if there's no change in the season every new year, right? At the beginning of every year, for some people that's August because it feels like the school year is the beginning of the year. For some people that's December. But at the, every year, every one of us should just pause. If we're married with our spouse and say, what does this next season hold? What does it look like? We just pause and reflect and discern what God might have in store for us. Also, the change in every season. You get married. You have a job change. You buy another house. Or you're going to buy another house. You, you have a, a child or a second child or a third child. I'll stop there. But there could be more kids, right? And, and all I'm saying is that as you are making those alterations or changes to your life, there are great moments where you just pause and discern. What's God wanting to do next? Second thing, you pray for God's wisdom. You pray for knowledge and depth of insight so you can discern. You just come before God and pray that, not only for yourself, but for each other. You, you bring that to the Lord. So here are some things that I think are helpful. Reflect on the past season. Ask these questions. Where and how did God use me lately? Are there patterns that emerge? Are there things that I can see, insights that God has, can give me in knowing how and where God used me recently? 
Where did you experience God's strength and joy? Where did you, as you were serving him or caring for others or forgiving someone, where did you experience his, his strength? You were like, I couldn't have done that, but by the grace of God. Where did you experience his joy? Wow, man, that experience was incredible. Where did you serve giving a heap of energy and yet feel more energized after you were done than before you started because you served in his joy and strength? What areas did you find challenging or even exhausting? What areas did you go, man, that was exhausting, it was hard. And that doesn't necessarily mean those aren't areas you should continue in. Maybe you need a new skill set. Maybe as you reflect, you realize you need some more knowledge. You need something to help you be able to serve the Lord in that way. What, what did you find challenging or exhausting? What has God revealed to you about yourself and your gifts and passions? Just through every season, what has God revealed to you? I mean, I'm 48, I'm 49 later this year. And as I've aged, and I may have said this a few, because I've talked about this a few times recently. Um, as I've aged, I've realized that as I look at my giftedness that for years I would have thought my predominant gift was preaching. And then I also had a gift in leadership. I probably now, after some experiences, would flip that and say, I think my predominant gift is leadership. That doesn't mean I can't preach. I'm not saying, oh, I'm a terrible preacher. Now, you might be thinking that this morning as you listen. But I, 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 I acknowledge, I admit that I'm asked to preach in a variety of places. I understand that it's an area that God's gifted me. But it would just seem that the gift in leadership he's granted me is a gift that surpasses even my preaching gift. And I know I have a gift in evangelism. It was only very recently that I would admit that. I always said I did the work of an evangelist. But a number of months ago in a meeting with all of our staff, we were talking about evangelists. And Marcio, who's with us, Pastor Marcio on staff, said that he thought I was a gifted evangelist. And, and I've realized over the years that is a gift that God has given me. So as I look to the future, knowing that I have gifts in leadership and preaching and evangelism, how does that shape the ministry that God calls me to? How does that shape what God's doing at James North Baptist Church? Oh, I said it. How is it that God would have me be used of him in those areas? If you're married and you have family, how have they coped in the past season? What needs do they have? What, where have they thrived? Where have they struggled? And then you want to brainstorm, not only reflect on the past season, but brainstorm in the upcoming season. Where might God be wanting to use you next? Where is it that God would want to use you? What would he have you do? Where might God want you to grow and be stretched? Are there areas that you need to be, be, be stretched in that, that he wants you to use and develop? Is there any training that would be helpful for this next season? You go, man, I should read a book. I should take a course. I should go and talk to someone who's had years of experience in this area. And what are some of the competing needs in this next season? I mean, maybe I feel called to lead this ministry, but I have ailing parents. Maybe, maybe I, I, I feel a tug. Maybe that's a better word than using a call. A tug to be involved over, over here in this area, but there's a need over there. And so sometimes you just have to sort out, God, what do I do when there's competing needs in this next season and we do so purposely reflectively and with great discernment because as we're in this series renewed rhythms and we're really asking the lord to show us how to discern what is next what's a rhythm of discerning i believe all of us coming out of covid need to be taking time to reflect to think and to pray god lead us so this should be our prayer that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best. And we will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen, and God bless you.